With the ever-increasing number of makes and models of automobiles, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money that you can then use for other things, you know, like mortgage or food. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? At rockauto.com, you will save money. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Best of all, Prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y, in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Today on the Callahan Podcast, well, bad news for you, Keith Oldman. We didn't boycott the Masters. We watched. We enjoyed it. Congratulations to uh, Hideki Matsuyama for who won it for Japan and uh, who made it interesting in the final few holes. Also, the Boston Red Sox announced they're no longer going to donate to Little League Baseball because it disproportionately engages boys over girls. Ah, if you can believe that. Also, uh, Jason Whitlock is banned, is is booted off Twitter. You're not going to believe why. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel embarrasses himself with Hunter Biden. We will play you some of that. And Donald Trump Jr. retweets me. That's the big news from the weekend. We'll get into all that and more today on the Callahan Podcast, brought to you by DCU. Do you love your carpet? Hate your car payment? No problem. Refinance your car today with DCU, and they could help lower your monthly payment, lower your interest rate, or both. Applying is easy, and their loan experts will help you find the loan term and the payment that fits into your budget. Get out of that high-rate loan and get the interest rate and the payment you deserve from DCU. Learn more and apply today at dcu.org slash refinance. Insured by NCUA. Membership required. All right, Colin, let's do this. This is the Jerry Callahan Podcast. Well, as promised, I uh, watched, uh, you know, every minute of the Masters. I was a little disappointed for most of uh, Sunday sitting there. It was kind of boring, kind of dull. And uh, Matsuyama was in control. And I was about, I don't know, two, three minutes behind because I'd paused it from one, one point. And then I'd tweet out how boring it is. It was so bad. It almost made me want to watch baseball. And immediately people are like, what are you, nuts? Because... <laughs> I don't know, a minute later, uh, Matsuyama hits it into the water over the green on uh, 15. And then a couple minutes later, Xander Shoffley makes the worst golf shot in Masters history, or at least the most expensive golf shot. According to Xander, it was a good golf shot. But the whole time I'm thinking, and and maybe you feel the same way, Colin, and the whole time I'm thinking, this is just awful that they're playing this tournament, even though most people in Georgia would like you to show an ID when you vote. It just seemed no. wrong. I mean, I'm watching, I'm saying they want, they, they only want 17 days of early voting. They, they're, they're limiting the number of drop boxes. And here we are playing the masters, by the way, 
if if you think that the masters itself is some kind of throwback you know to the jim crow days and some kind of racist you would you were sorely disappointed that a japanese man won the first time a japanese man has won the masters the first the first asian born man to win the masters i believe um and just the the, the reaction from the people from the the patrons not the fans the patrons by the way don't you always wonder how do the announcers not screw that up? They're not allowed to say fans. They have to say patrons. They're not allowed to say um, uh, front nine, back nine. They have to say first nine, second nine. But that rule doesn't apply next week when they cover a tournament or last week, just this week. And they never screw it up. They well, I should say never. I watch a lot. And it ri- do, they rarely break those little master's rules. You never hear Jim Nance say back nine. He just doesn't, That's or true. any of the guys on you know Trevor Ilman. They don't say fans because they're not supposed to. Actually, you know who said fans? Matsuyama said it at the at the podium afterwards. He was translator said something. Thank you, fans. And I'm like, oh, he's in trouble now. But the reaction was great. Everyone was happy for him. Everyone likes him. Everyone likes the idea of a whole country celebrating at whatever it was five in the morning, six in the morning in Japan. I mean, it just felt like uh, it, it felt like the Masters. Didn't feel yep. like there was anything, anything political about it. Uh, even were though, you, were you the one who tweeted about the, the business ramifications for him? Do you tweet that article that was from Sport? I retweeted somebody, which is amazing. I think uh, our friend Mike McCann had a story on this. It's amazing. You're thinking every I, I every time I watch golf, every time I watch a golfer and see what he's got on his hat, and his shirt, and his bag, you're saying. How much money do they actually make on the side? For most of them, the purse, whatever they get for the tournament, is secondary. They make so much uh, in endorsements. I mean, you see the commercial. You see Justin Rose constantly on Morgan Stanley commercials, and you know he's making more as a Morgan Stanley uh, spokesman than he's making on the golf course. Well, yet with Matsuyama, it's a whole different level because you know he's the biggest star in his country. And and all over Asia, so some I'll, I'll get the story. Uh, they they did an estimate, quick one, um, on what it's worth to him. Six hundred million dollars they estimate. Wow. Six hundred million to win one golf tournament, uh, to to hang in there. And and um, uh, and I thought it was a lot when they did the calculation of Xander Shoffley, who could have <laughs> if he hadn't screwed up the 16th hole get a triple bogey his first triple bogey in 1042 holes in majors his first triple and um it, it is kind of funny we'll, talk, we'll get to xander in a second because that was that was just comical what he did on that hole um and costly but matsuyama is such a such a big star i guess in japan that there's so many endorsements and they're coming from so many directions and and by the way he'll be able to cash in on this for the rest of his life he's yeah. 29 he'll be cashing in on his green jacket his masters win till he's dead yeah. 50 years from now and, well, and if, you, if you said if you said dustin johnson if you said his win was worth 600 million dollars i'd call you an asshole and say that's absurd but you go into this article Japan, I guess the U.S. is the only country with more golf courses than Japan, and Matsuyama owns the market now. Like he literally owns it, so it makes total sense. Which is literally the craziest, the craziest story. He makes ten million a year just on uh, sponsorships right now alone, which is wild. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it too. It's is it uh, 
No, it's a, it's in Sportico, Sportico, a business sports business uh, website. Uh, and then uh, uh, Nick Faldo said it first. He would he is most likely to light the torch or carry the torch at the Japanese uh, Olympics, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, which is this year. Uh, nobody's boycotting that one, right? We're cool with that. Everyone's going to Tokyo, and he'll be the biggest star at the biggest event, you know, in in Jap Japanese sports history, uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, they talked about all the, you know, because they don't have that much land in Japan. They talked about all those triple deck, you know, triple decker driving ranges, and everyone out there with the and and here's how, here's how I picture them all doing it: young young kids, old people, whatever having that pause at the top of their backswing because they're imitating Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, but uh, good for him. He's going to make yeah, $600 million, which is probably what Tiger made in a year in his, uh, in his prime, right? Tiger was the first uh, billion dollar athlete. I think Rory's close to that too, even though he doesn't, uh, he's, he looks more human than anything. See that shot by Rory on uh, whatever it was Friday when he yeah. just hit one dead right into the Azaleas, lost the ball. Yes. You don't see, didn't see a lot of that from Matsuyama. I thought, we were, I thought we were in trouble. I mean, like you said, it was kind of a steady. You wanted that. You wanted the uh, drama on Master Sunday, but you go Friday and you see, you know, what was it? Kepka, DJ, and Rory all missed the cut. So you're yeah. kind of missing. You're literally missing your star power going into the weekend. You're missing right. everybody and except for Justin Thomas and uh, who else? You know, <laughs> Spieth. Spieth was there, and he's he's a star. But uh, it was I'm, I'm I was watching, thinking, what are the ratings going to be? Obviously, the ratings are great in Japan, but when you have Matsuyama versus uh, Shoffley, who's not I mean, he's a great player, but he's not a big star. And then you have Justin Rose fading, and then you have that kid, the 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 Owen Wilson lookalike. There, uh, yes. Zala Torres, Will Zala, he got more FaceTime than anybody, and he got more attention than anybody, and I guess he deserves it. He's a hell of a player, but he's, um, and, and I made some wisecrack about him on Twitter, and people are like, you don't understand, he's great, he's going to be a star, and he probably will be, but I was sick of him. I wanted someone else to, to, to make a run. I wanted it to be tied, you know, with three holes to play. That's the greatest, I don't know, hour in sports TV, in my mind, is when the Masters is tied or it's all... Uh, you know, up for grabs with, with an hour to go. I mean, I love that. I was waiting for that. I was hoping for that. I got it sort of, kind of. He goes, Matsuyama goes over the green on 15, into the water, and Faldo called this one. He said he shouldn't even try to get on the green, just play for the bogey. He did, which was really smart. And, I mean, he just had a great touch around the green. Matsuyama did all day, and he handled the pressure. That's what it's all about. He handled the pressure. I, I look at the 18th hole and I say, I wouldn't care if I had a 10 shot lead. I'd be, I'd be in the trees. I, it's an amazingly difficult looking tee shot, amazingly difficult looking hole. And, uh, he, he, he had 130 yards on his approach and put it in the sand, which was a little weird. That's a choke right there. But he ended up getting the bogey, winning the tournament by one over the Owen Wilson looking guy who I guess looks like, I don't know the caddy's name in Billy Madison. But that went viral. He looks like the goofy caddy and Billy Madison. Adam Sandler was tweeting at Zalatoris. Zalatoris was tweeting back at Adam Sandler. So that was a little bit of, little bit of fun after the tournament was over. But back to uh, so so uh, so Matsuyama opens the door to whoever Zalatoris or Shafley. They step up to sixteen. This is right after he went in the water, bogeyed the hole, gave 
um, gave Shafley a chance and Shafley puts it in the water on 16, which I, as, as somebody said, you don't ever, I think Nan said, you never see that anymore. I mean, it's an easy looking hole. Let's be honest. Even when it's 181 yards, you hit it to the right. It rolls down to that pin placement. It doesn't look that difficult. For some reason, Shuffley decides to go right at the pin, hits the the bank into the water, gets a, goes to his uh, drop zone over the green, ends up you know with a six, a triple bogey. He's out of the tournament. They did somebody did the math. It's more. It's more than a half a million dollars. Oh. More than a half a million it cost him. To go from second to a tied from third, he ends up with six hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars. And I know money's not an issue. That Shuffley's got plenty, and he's always in contention in the majors, and he's making a fortune. He's a great, great player. But he defends the decision and said it was a great shot. I flushed it. I'm like, what? If that's what you meant to do, that's a worse choke job than I thought. That's a mental mistake, not a physical mistake. If you actually thought that was a good shot, and by the way. What's her face? Dottie Pepper, who just states the obvious constantly. Dottie Pepper. Oh, he hit a wall of wind. They, some people, and I understand it's kind of the way it is in golf, they can't wait a second to apologize to for the players, you know, to to make excuses for the players. The ball was in the air, and you know, she's ready to say, you know, make an excuse for him, hits the bat, goes in the water, kind of Kisses away his chance of winning the Masters. What does Dottie Pepper do? Wow, that hit a wall of wind. <laughs> no, that was way too far left, Dottie. If he went 10, 15, 20 feet to the right, he ends up with, at worst, a three, right? Maybe a two. Maybe a two. Maybe he wins the Masters. He loses it on that decision to go right at the pin. And he, you know, we, in the in the press conference, you know, he said he defended it. But I understand guys do that. They don't want to admit they choked ever, and I understand. But to have the announcers say, "Oh, that was a great shot. He just hit the wind. Ooh. It was it was a terrible move, terrible second, uh, whatever the drop zone uh, shot over the green just blows it with that." He was, all, he was also playing so well. What what did he just? He was so he's so good. He just birdied three out of his last four holes or something That's like right. that. Like a wor worst case scenario, you got a second place finish, but you come out of it looking like a rock star. And, you know, there's just a lot of interest around him right now. I, it's insane to me that he tried to go right at the flag. And everyone says the same thing. He's 29, I believe. And uh, they say the same thing. He's, he's going to win one. It's only a matter of time, but they did say that about everybody. And he is, he is good in the majors. He's good on the tough courses and under pressure for the most part. And he said, you know, he was saying all the right things afterwards, but we will see when they go to Kiowa for the PGA, if he'll be involved. I mean, let's be honest, that triple bogey is one of those things nobody ever forgets. Hitting into the water on a hole that looks easy, especially if you just want to get your three and get to the next hole. I mean, what was it at that point? He was two back, so. Yes. Um, 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 he he, he would have been, been down one going into 18. Right. Right. He birdied uh, 15 and, and uh, Matsuyama bogeyed. So he picked up two shots um, in uh, on the 15th hole, kept the momentum going. If he just got the three, right, he'd have been down. Pressure would have been on, much more pressure would have been on. Um, Matsuyama can't go playing, playing it safe on 17 and 18. Would have been a whole different deal. Um, but uh, he blew it. He blew it. He only made six hundred sixty-seven, whatever thousand dollars. Tough day on the job. Six hundred. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll get the ratings. The ratings were up early in the uh, tournament. Um, the, uh, the there was you know no.
protests. I mean, I was, I remember talking about that a couple of weeks ago when the voting thing happened in Georgia, that there'll be protests and there'll be, you know, there'll be some issues it at Augusta. No such thing went off without a hitch. In fact, the TV broadcast, the TV presentation to me gets better every year. They get these aerial photographs and they're yep. showing, you know, through the bushes and the, the masters used to be so limited. They only allowed cameras on the, on the back nine, the second nine. Now they get the whole tournament. They get, you know, all kinds of different angles. It's a great, great TV event saved by Matsuyama going in the water and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and whatever his name is, Will Zalatoris making a little bit of a run. And that's another guy who's going to be good. Will Zal, we've got to get him a cheeseburger. Get him on the, get him on the uh, Bryson DeChambeau diet. That guy is just rail thin. He's not a kid either. He's 24 years old and he's been a, in the, you know, on the tour for a couple of years, but he's going to be good. He was bombing it. He looked cool. He looked calm. He looked like he's got a little bit of personality. I, I, I mocked him a little on Twitter. I took it back because he was kind of playful with uh, Adam Sandler. So we'll see how he does going forward. Did you uh, uh, did you see the viral video yesterday of Billy Horschel slamming the club into his golf bag? That was, yes. I like relatable moments at the Masters. Right. Like and he, he had to go wading in the water twice. Back-to-back yeah. days, he had to take his shoes off and go in the water. The best part of the whole tournament, in my mind, was uh, whatever the uh, another Asian guy, the guy who won the, the players, uh, Kim, yep. slamming his... Uh, Putter breaking it, which you don't normally see from any of these guys, especially uh, a young Asian guy. They did tend not to, you know, blow up like that and go, uh, go all, uh, you know, Pat Perez or, or Patrick Reed slams his putter, breaks it, has to putt with a three wood, and he putted great. It only was three or four holes, and I'm thinking, you know, the putter doesn't even matter. These guys are so good; they can putt with a three wood and had a nice stroke. He, he didn't hit any long putts, but he two-putted everything, and it wasn't a problem at all. I think we need to see more of that, more guys breaking their clubs and having to play without a putter or without whatever. That was kind of fun. Plus, you get to see him actually throwing a little tantrum, which yes. is always nice. These guys are so cool. Even, I mean, look at look at Xander after blowing it on 16. Doesn't I mean, any normal human being is... Oh, Just, all an act. That was yes. all. Are you talking about his post game? Are you talking about the uh, interview after? No, I'm talking about the way they recover. Yeah. They blow it, get a triple bogey, and the next tee shot on, on 17 is striped down the middle 320 yards. There's no human being, like no amateur, whatever. Just no. I don't care how good you are. It could be a three handicap or two. No normal human being can bounce back like that. These guys are amazing. It always amazes me how they can go from, he did it early in the tournament. He had like a bogey, bogey double, and then went on a run, had whatever it was, four straight birdies. They just get it together. They keep it together so well. I'm always impressed with that. That's going to be part of that's going to be part of training now, don't you think? Like it's not just about the the driving range and the swing technique or whatever. I guarantee you, a lot of these younger players ab- like have mental coaches. You know what I mean? They have to right now. Yes, I knew a guy. I was friends with a guy who was a uh, shrink. He is a he's a Harvard trained psychiatrist, and he was a, a personal shrink for a number of players. And they would just call him before, like a tournament. They're in contention. They had a little phone session. He didn't travel around much. I mean, if it was he local, he would. But he did call up and need a little tune-up, and he'd give him a you know a session of twenty minutes on the phone before the tournament. That's all. That's all. They, I mean, these guys all have shrinks. Like Shoffley was talking about his team, you know, his coach yep. and his and his uh, caddy and his father and his and his shrink. They all have them because I mean, let's be honest, they have 
unlimited funds. As we could see, Hideki Matsuyama has unlimited money now, so he will uh, he can spend whatever it takes. But it it's it was good to be it was good to have patrons back, fans back, noise back. It's good to see that place back and and better than ever. And now. Everything seems normal going forward. Unlike last year when everything was canceled and there were no fans and there was all kinds of weird rules. Um, it's good that the, uh, the virus is gone and uh, the players aren't wearing masks. Unlike, you know, those New Hampshire track kids, those 16-year-old kids running track in New Hampshire, they're not making grown men wear masks on the golf course. Caddies, you know, players, some fans were, but they were, well, they were also, you know, drinking, drinking beer and drinking, eating, and, you know, it didn't look like it was a, it was an issue, which is good. No, no, COVID couldn't stop this Masters. It was good. It was good. I mean, I wasn't great. wasn't wasn't Tiger last or two years ago, right? Two years ago, wasn't Tiger two years ago. But I ended up. Didn't you end up feeling good, like watching Matsuyama saying, "That's cool." Watching a guy win for his country and watching a guy who's going to be an Olympic hero. It just seemed, and everyone seems to like him, and everyone seems happy for him. And uh, no, you felt bad. you felt good because there was some drama at the end. That's all that matters. If it yeah. just he just ran away with it, like it looked like he was going to do. You're right, and you tweeted the right thing initially, even though you ended up being wrong. But it was a bore fest until those mo- few moments, and then it turned into something. So yeah. you left feeling good, which is all that matters. And I love this. I, I just tweeted. It was so bad. I almost watched baseball and immediately said, what's, why are you so miserable? Why, why do you hate everything? I'm going, what? I'm just watching this tournament, hoping for some drama. Wasn't getting any drama. Make a wisecrack about baseball, which seems pretty uh, boring at the start of this season. We'll see how that goes, but uh, I, it ended up being okay. It ended up being okay. I had a good time. I, I love when the Masters goes to commercial and before you can get out of your seat, they're back. You know, it's like a one-minute commercial for Mercedes, and we get to see the same commercial 900 times about how Mercedes is going to – all their factories are going to be powered by wind. And I'm going, what Mercedes driver, what Mercedes person gives a damn whether the Mercedes factory is powered by wind? I mean, just show me the car driving on the highway. Tell me how great it is. They're great cars. Why do I give a damn if they're made in a factory with a windmill? God, that was strange. And I I didn't mind it because it was so quick. Boom, you go to commercial. minute later, they're back showing somebody's teeing off or putting. It's so different from what we're used to, not just golf, what, you name it, football, baseball. But you're so used to just being overwhelmed with commercials and sick of commercials. And the Masters does it different. And the Masters does it great. I love the Masters. I, it's too bad we got to wait a year. Well, I mean, there'll be a pga in a couple weeks and it'll be you know commercial after commercial after commercial and you'll be like okay i missed the masters but it was a good one i enjoyed it the 85th is that what they kept saying 85th or whatever you know uh, playing of the masters it was it was good and it didn't uh, it didn't ruin it well it took away from it the fact that they actually want people to show their id when they vote in georgia took away from it a little but not completely i think there was i think early in the week there was a protest but it got no buzz like i think it was there i didn't even notice i mean i'm sure there was there's stupid people like like uh keith oldman or crazy people he's not stupid he's crazy who did a whole thing about boycotting the masters i don't think that took off keith i hate to break it to you keith old buddy but that didn't exactly actually fly. There were no boycotts that I saw or heard of that, that that mattered at all. And nobody, by the way, that I saw even talked about it. They weren't asking asking players or you know announcers weren't. There was no mention of this made up 
Joe Biden scandal about Jim Crow, this lie that our president is uh, spreading about Jim Crow didn't happen. By the way, today, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow when we get more details. Today, there was, or Saturday, there was a call with uh, over 100 uh, CEOs, business leaders, including one uh, team, NFL team owner, to talk about election law in the country. So they're organizing this 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 cabal of of business leaders to advance the you know the Democrat agenda. Of course, they're not going to say, yeah, we need more voter integrity and voter security. They're going to say, we need we need to stop suppression. And make sure anyone can vote as many times as they want with no ID. It's scary. If this happened under Donald Trump, people would be saying this is fascism. Hundreds of business leaders, unelected, unelected leaders getting together and deciding how they're going to pressure people, pressure whatever, events, sports, pressure the legislators to to advance their agenda on you know voter suppression or voter whatever voter law voting law we'll see how that goes we'll find out i hope it's not bob craft i hope the one owner oh no it's uh it's arthur blank oh is Is he a big is he a big lefty i think he's uh i think he tends to lean that way the yes because he came out i I read that same article Read the article. That was Arthur Black. I just saw a yeah. team loaner. I didn't even know. Well, he's he's claiming that you know fans now want more political endorsements by teams and own. I'm like, what? Like what room are that? you? Reading? Yeah, that's what he said. Like what room are you I, reading right now? Well, which that brings us to our uh, our next topic because I, I I I beg to differ, Mr. Blank. I beg to differ, and every time I every time I think of him, I know he's a billionaire who started Home Depot, has made a fortune. Got a pretty good reputation, but don't you just look at him and think of twenty-eight to three? I mean, don't, yeah. it's like looking at Dan Quinn or Matt Ryan. Yeah. Those guys were are permanently brandished with twenty-eight to three on their foreheads. It doesn't matter what they accomplish in life if they don't go back and win a. Even if they win a Super Bowl, they will never be. I'll never think of them as anything but chokers who blew a twenty-eight to three lead in the Super Bowl, but. Um, th- this this story came out a Saturday. It was in the Boston Herald, of course. I mean, I'm certainly not going to see anything about it in the Boston Globe, which is owned and controlled by the owners of the Boston Red Sox. And we talk about the Red Sox a lot. Not a fan of ownership. Neither is neither are most people in New England. It's a remarkable thing that John Henry and Linda Pizzuti and the rest of Red Sox ownership have done. They've won four World Series. And they're still despised in New England. That's quite an accomplishment. And I realize, you know, politically, I don't agree with them, but they're just so tone deaf. Uh, they don't understand the fan base. They live in this bubble, this globe, you know, Nesson Red Sox bubble. And this story is just so perfectly Red Sox. This this story that uh, was in the Boston Herald. I don't think it was in the Globe. Oh, it could have been in the Globe somehow. They would have written it differently. But the Red Sox, if you missed it, are discontinuing their donations to Little League Baseball. That's the the Little League. And um, the reason they give, and I, I'm, I'll, I'll discuss some of the people that uh, defended this because they're they're out there. There's a pe- you know people who align politically. There's you know your your typical you know New England Democrat, Liz Warren Democrat who loved Red Sox ownership. But trust me, in in the sports world, they're in the minority. And I mean, they might control local government and local institutions, but sports fans don't like 
the Red Sox owners, the the Red so- the Red Sox owners who have turned against their own fans what four or five times over the last twenty years. Anytime anyone accuses Red Sox fans of being racists, the Red Sox owners side with the accuser. They side with the you know with the, the Tory hunters against their own fans, against the evidence too, by the way. But this one is not that serious. It's kind of laughable. Red Sox uh, are discontinuing their donations to Little League because Little League, I got the exact actual quote here, more often than not, disproportionately engages boys versus girls because because there are more boys playing Little League. Now, um, check me. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Colinane. The Boston Red Sox are an all-male baseball team, correct? In an all-male baseball league. Yeah, and as we know, most of the management is all male, white male, and typical hypocrisy from the Boston Red Sox. Their spokesman, Zineb Curran, as woke as you get in that position, she says uh, this, uh, <laughs> get all the words, quote, this is part of a larger shift in the Red Sox Foundation's youth baseball and softball strategy to more equitably support leagues in Massachusetts and New England. Little League only accounts for a fraction of youth leagues and more often than not, disproportionately engages boys over girls. It's baseball, Zineb. Of course, it disproportionately engages boys over girls. There are lots of girls' softball leagues that are affiliated with Little League, but it doesn't matter. With the Boston Red Sox, it's always how woke do we look? You know, just how progressive can we be? And I, it's not a lot of money. It was 83,000 to 167 Little League, Little League organizations. Uh, you do the math, not a huge donation. But as always, it's all about, you know, the look. It's all about the appearance. And nobody wants to appear uh, woke like the Boston Red Sox. As we've pointed out before, they have the biggest Black Lives Matter sign in Major League Baseball. I believe it's 267 feet. It's amazing how big that sign is, and they will never hesitate to put it on the board and, you know, uh, be, you know, whatever, express themselves. Virtual sig- virtue signal, I believe the term is. This is more virtue signaling. The Boston Red Sox are not going to donate to. I can't even look at this without laughing. When I first saw that, when I first saw that over the weekend, you I thought I had to be wrong, didn't you? When you well, saw it, well, well, the first thing I thought of is like $90,000. Like that's it, first and foremost. Like that's all we're talking about here. Why don't you just double it up and donate it to softball programs? That was like, why would you allow yourself to get these headlines out there? And then at the end of the day, they win because the only person talking about it is about, it, it's nowhere other than the Boston Herald. So right. nobody really knows about it. <laughs> nobody knows that they're cutting youth donations. It is. And I, I find this amazing that no one, of course, has any problem or no one on their side has any problem with one guy or one guy and his wife, his, his trophy wife, are they control the Boston Globe. That's his vanity project, losing millions, but he doesn't care. John Henry wants to control the message and the messaging. Owns Nesson, New England Sports Network, controls that completely. Controls WEEI, my former station, has complete control for some reason that the, the station, the company actually pays him and then allows him control over the station. It's insane, but that's how it works. He gets to control who's on the air, who's not on the air. He gets to control who announces the game. Thus, they have the worst play-by-play announcer in, in sports, I think. But it doesn't matter because John Henry likes him, so so they're, they're okay with it. But he controls 
the media. You know, there's rarely held. One of the only people who ever steps out of line is Dan Shaughnessy, who, you know, who will, who will ridicule, who will criticize Red Sox ownership, but he has to qualify it every time and say he owns the paper. And I'm sure, I am sure Henry and Pizzuti hate him and can't wait for him to retire. And believe me, when he retires, he's not going to be replaced by somebody who uh, dares poke the poke fun at the ownership. It'll never happen. They'll find someone who is completely on board, who carries water for the ownership of the Boston Red Sox, like most of the media. I mean, this guy in the Herald is Mastronato, completely in the tank for the Boston Red Sox. He doesn't even work for them. I mean, he, it, it is sad what the media has become, at least in terms of the Boston Red Sox, there is very little, if any, you know, genuine criticism of anymore. They, they've handled that. They've took, they've taken care of that. You criticize the Boston Red Sox. They will, uh, you know, they will try to silence you. Typical, typical of the, uh, you know, this, the powerful, just elitist liberal owners. They don't stand for uh, any uh, criticism. They, they do not. They, they try to snuff it out and they don't understand. Why don't people love us? We've won four world series. Why don't they love us? Not only do they not love they can't stand you. The Red, Red Sox are average sports fans, average baseball fans. I can't tell you how many people I hear from who say, I can't even root for this team. I can't stand this ownership and have tuned out. You've seen the ratings are awful. Ratings, the radio ratings are incredible. 20 years ago, the Red Sox were getting like 25 shares. Now they're in the ones, you know, on radio, on TV. The ratings are awful awful and they just can't figure it out you know we're so woke why don't they love us why do they love bob craft and and not us and well bob craft's a real person that people like and and can relate to you are not you are elitist you know soccer you know soccer people and outsiders and uh it'll be a good when the red sox sell the team and they will People, I think fans will be thrilled. Fans when will, will they? Thrilled. When will they sell the Boston Red Sox? Do you think? Like, I, I, I can't imagine that's anytime soon. I mean, it's. Gotta I don't know. Be- I always hear from people saying he's setting it up to sell. He's going to sell. They, they're not as interested in this team as they are in their soccer team. They're always uh, Linda Pizzuti's always tweeting about their soccer team, and now they get the racing team, and they get LeBron, and I mean, Fenway Sports Group's worth seven billion dollars. Yes, it's they've done okay for themselves. Um, and I'm sure, but their reputation means more to them than any, than owning anything. And, and sports teams right now are like, that's the darling of investment, right? Like look at a rod. He's, he's been begging to own a sports team in any league. He's been fighting to, and he's finally getting it. But that's like, that's the thing that people crave the most is the attention on something like this. There's no way that they, unless they can get something better. There's no way they're partnering with the Red Sox anytime soon. I don't know. It always, uh, I don't know. Hopefully in, in my lifetime, uh, they, they sell and move on and people, you know, like they get a, a local guy and the guy that people can relate to. What's the partner? A-Rod is buying the Minnesota Timberwolves. And my reaction to the story when I saw it the first time was um, his partner's name is Mark Lore. Good luck to Mark Lore. Here's my prediction right now. Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lore have signed a letter of intent to negotiate with Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor and purchase the NBA franchise. Um according to USA Today. Well, Mark Lore, you are going to get screwed over. I promise you. Um, if he hasn't already, Mark Lore is going to be like, what made me go into business with this a-hole? Maybe it was the only way he could get a piece of an NBA team. But there's no doubt in my mind that uh, within 
two years. This will be ugly. They'll be saying someone's going to buy someone out and threatening to sue. And it'll do, I mean, this guy will get screwed over by a rod because that's just the way a rod. Oh, oh, includes the NBA, the WNBA's Minnesota Lynx. Yes. So they get that going for you. A-Rod why, is, uh, why isn't uh, J-Lo in the mix there? Wasn't J-Lo in the mix for the Mets? Yeah, why she's, she's, not not even, she's not even mentioned no. in, in this story. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, she was supposed to be with him when they bought the Mets. Does this preclude him from buying a uh, baseball team? Oh, he can go to town. He can buy as many as he can go as, buy as many as he wants. I'm sure. Lee, you know how Mark Lohr made his fortune? I was just looking for that. Made his fortune in e-commerce with diapers.com. Oh, nice. Diapers.com um, was uh, good to Mark Lohr, who's now. Uh, I guess a billionaire. You got to be a billionaire, don't you? To uh, buy an NBA team, uh, to buy any big league team. I don't have the price here. We don't have the price, but I believe it's. It's reported that's a one and a half. 1. 1.4 billion, estimated at 1. Yeah. 1.4 billion. That's 28th among 30 teams. God, it pays to be a major league no, or NBA uh, franchise owner. The 28th most valuable NBA team is worth a billion and a half dollars. Jesus. Yeah. It's and the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know what? I think the price is slipping because someone, uh, they just looted and burned the uh, the office. They burned the uh, arena down. Did you know that Shea Concrete is the largest manufacturer of recon retaining all systems in North America? Well, you do now. In fact, in 2020, Shea set a new company record when they man- manufactured 178,000 square feet of retaining wall. This is a testament to Shea's legendary teamwork from engineering to manufacturing to dispatch and delivery. As the guys at Shea like to say, teamwork makes the teamwork. They do. I've been around them when they say that. Shea Concrete's high-performing precast concrete retaining walls stand up to New England's active climate and come in a wide variety of shapes, designs, and textures to meet your retaining wall needs. So whether you need a residential, a commercial, or an industrial application, Shea has a dedicated team that will assist you with conceptual design, site walks, and installation. Let Shea show you the way. Call Shea Concrete at 800-696-SHEA. That's 800-696-SHEA. Or just log on to SheaConcrete.com. What's better than courtside seats? Free sports on Pluto TV. Hey, sports fans, get all your sports free on Pluto TV. Pluto TV is your home for sports. Watch 24-7 channels of MLB, MLS, MMA, sports news and analysis, plus documentaries, TV shows, and movies, all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. If you haven't noticed, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, uh, they're rioting in Minnesota, uh, right outside of Minneapolis again. It is it is uh, a fluid situation, a breaking story. There was a shooting of a driver, young young guy, 20-year-old, uh, Dante Wright. Is that his name? Um, yes. Uh, sh- uh, cops shot him when he took off. He tried to uh, flee when they stopped him. We don't have details yeah we do have a picture of him here Fla- flashing gang signs and, and lots of money doesn't make him you know doesn't mean he sh- should be shot we'll find out more story again is uh breaking um but uh dante right young skinny kid uh, tragic but uh we'll find out more they're supposedly going to release the dash cam the cops the body cam and we'll find out a lot then but 
you know, that here's the, here's the one thing I'll say. It doesn't matter. The cops could have just shot him in cold blood and the cops could all be going to get in charge with murder. The idea that somehow that justifies looting the, let's see, they've looted a GameStop, a uh, auto parts store, a Walmart. Foot Locker, of course. Foot Locker, a Brooklyn Center. This is the town. It's called Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, right outside of Minneapolis. They're burning and looting stores. And the video is incredible. Just walking out with you know, a box full of Nikes or you know uh, products and games from games. And somehow there's a connection between how the officers, you know, what the officers did to Dante Wright and this. Well, that's the whole problem. This that's the problem in these situations. And it's like Saturday Night Live. I can get to that, but I'll give you my quick. They had an open, a cold open with two black uh, uh, anchors, you know, and two whites. And they were arguing about Minnesota and Chauvin trial. And the whole point was the, the black people, the guy and the woman it was Keenan Thompson and whatever her name is, are defending rioting and property damage in the white people. And, oh, that's never right. You should never destroy property. And they say, oh, yeah. And I'm going, is that really what they think? I mean, that's what Saturday Night Live writers think, that black people think it's okay to destroy property if you're not happy with the cops. I would guess if you put that to you know a, a poll, it'd be like 80% say it's wrong. No matter what, it's wrong to riot, to, to ruin small businesses, to ruin, you know, whatever, uh, GameStop and, and set it on fire and what, steal what everything. Message, what message does that send? Like those GameStop videos I saw over the weekend, like that was so casual. <laughs> like they're, know, just there, they're all having a good time. Just And, and it's not universally out. condemned, which is insane. I say this all the time. We should all be able to agree on one thing, that that's bad. Looting, rioting, that's bad. And it doesn't matter what they did to Dante Wright. If they did shoot him uh, illegally, if it is murder, they'll go to trial. That's on camera. There's witnesses. His girlfriend is in the car. She was injured, treated and released, I believe. He was driving after he got shot for a while, and then he hit another car, and they you know, treated him. They gave him medical treatment at the scene, and he died. That's That's awful. But we don't know all the facts. We'll find them out. And if he, the cops are guilty, then you try him and and then put him in prison. But the idea that, oh, you killed a, a young black guy, the cops killed a young black guy, I'm going to GameStop. How can we not all how can we not all condemn that together? Everyone just say that that's insane, that's criminal, that's wrong. That GameStop guy who owns that store, the people who work there did nothing to you. I mean, the idea that there are a bunch of people who say, Oh, look, the cops did something we don't like. Let's go get whatever, some shoes. I mean, that shouldn't be allowed. That shouldn't be defended in any way by SNL or, or, or you know, comment, you know, whoever by CNN or MSNBC. We'll see. It'll be all over the news tonight. And there'll be some people who make that leap who say, yeah, but they shot the kid. And I'll be like, yeah, good. Let's charge him. Let's convict him. We'll do whatever it takes. You don't justify looting. I mean, I, I can't believe we've reached that point where we say that what the cop did is awful. And we don't know yet. Again, we don't know. But what the cop did was awful. Let's go. Let's go to GameStop or let's go to the Foot Locker. It's, it's nuts. And it's still going on. I assume, you know, when the sun comes up and everyone's getting tired and, you know, they'll, they'll, it'll, there'll be a reprieve, but they're going to do it again tonight. We don't even, if we find out that Dante, Wright was unarmed, even though he was, you know, flashing gang signs and showing cash on Facebook. If we find out he's unarmed, he looks young. He looks 
slight, small, that's going to be a terrible uh, visual. Say this kid was, was, was wrong. He was fleeing from the cops. He wouldn't stop, but if he's unarmed and he didn't do, it's going to get really ugly again. And the trial starts again today, restarts today, resumes today, which is not going well for the prosecution. I should say not going well for the mob either. And God knows what's going to happen if, if Derek Chauvin, and it's a real possibility is not, I don't think he's going to get acquitted. There could be a hung jury. The evidence is, is not going great for the prosecution. If you followed it at all, the, the defense actually asked if one of the prosecution witnesses could be a defense witness. They were so helpful to the defense and, um, he wasn't the only one. There were a few, you know, medical, there was, there's, there's, um, the witnesses there, the, 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 the firefighter woman, you know, they, they, they didn't, they weren't great in the end prosecution well, she was, she was okay. But, um, the, in the end defense hasn't even started yet. And it looks like a very real possibility that he'll, he'll at least have a hung jury or at least be, be convicted on the lesser charge and get, you know, four or five years, which will never placate the mob. It's going to get bad too. This week, if the defense starts uh, calling witnesses and defense does well, that's going to be an ignition point. That's going to be like people are going to want to riot just for that. It's not going to take a, a decision by the jury. If it's just going well for the defense for Chauvin, and so far I think it is, you know, Derek Chauvin's, a little guy. Do you know how small he was? I, I didn't realize this. He's like five seven, one forty, and you know, it, there's there's a clear. This I mean, we, we don't have to go over. We'll do this another day. We'll go over the, all the charges another day and how tough it's going to be to convict him uh, on everything, which is what the mob demands. It's going to be dicey. It is. You brought when you started this. You were talking about SNL. It is. Was it Tim? Poole? Who was the one who tweeted over the weekend? Who brought up a great point? Point where it's okay. So SNL is now endorsing this type of behavior. So do we infer now that they're okay with the Capitol riots? Like, so does their con- does their content get taken down from YouTube? Like everybody else, somebody somebody it's that it, correlation. It it's was a good up. question, and I I I didn't tweet this because I don't really want to get into it, but. What happened last night in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, is much, much, much worse than what happened at the Capitol. I mean, the Capitol, again, you know, the only person who died as a result of the riot, as far as we know, is Ashley Babbitt, who was shot by a cop who still is unnamed. Most of the people there were just trespassing. Most of the people, other than, you know, a couple of idiots like the guy who took the podium, weren't stealing things. They were just walking around taking pictures. And lots of those people are still in jail with no, uh, with no bail. It's, it's amazing. And the night before, two nights ago, they set the ice ice, the immigration uh, customs uh, office in Portland on fire. Antifa did not be on this Antifa and blocked the exits to try and keep people trapped inside and burn them alive. What that, what that is, what that, what they did two nights ago, much, much worse than anything at the Capitol. But again, I'm, I say this all the time. I condemn all violent mobs. I, I mean, the, this, this, I condemn this mob. I condemn the one in Portland. I condemn the one in DC on January 6th. The, the only, only one side defends violent mobs and they will do it again. I'm telling you, watch tonight, pay attention. Cause there'll be people saying, this 
is understand not justified, but certainly this is understandable because you know an unarmed, if he's unarmed, we'll find out an unarmed black guy got shot, uh, and they'll say, yeah, well, I can understand why they'll loot. What? I mean, stop that! It's no, there's no connection. Well, they're both wrong. They're both crazy. They're both violent crimes. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I just have a bad feeling, especially if the defense testimony is going well for Chauvin. It ain't going to go well for uh, for the folks, the poor people in Minneapolis and Brooklyn Center, who are uh, never even heard of Brooklyn Center, but it's uh, it's got a lot of stuff there that they can loot. They got a Walmart, and uh, I mean, you can go in a Walmart, a Walmart, and just take stuff because of cops did something you don't like. Anyway, speaking of. Uh, we got a few other things to get to here, Colin. I want to get to Whitlock. I want to get to this. There is a connection. Black Lives Matter. And we've talked about them before. And, you know, sometimes, hell, we get in trouble when we talk about Black Lives Tell the truth about Black Lives Matter because, as we know, it's a Marxist organization. Three women founded it. They are Marxist. They are on tape admitting they're committed Marxists. They are de dedicated to defunding the police. To, to destroying the nuclear family, they don't believe in the family. They they don't and uh, like uh, ending ending prisons. They don't believe in prison. They're a very very radical outfit. But that didn't stop many many celebrities um, from giving them money. We've talked about some of them, you know, like John Cena and uh, lots of corporations. You know, uh, uh, gave them money, gave them millions. They're believed to have over a billion dollars. Although there's some. Some, um, there's not real confirmation. It's not really uh, documented so well, but they're believed to have um, lots of money somewhere. Um, now we know where some of it's going, where some of it's going. One of the BLM co-founders, a woman, and I'll get her name, a woman uh, bought uh, $1.4 million worth of houses. Not, it's like a compound. Um, in uh, her name is Patrice, Patrice Khan Cullors, leader of the Black Lives Matter movement and self-described Marxist, recently purchased a $1.4 million home. I believe it's like three homes together in a very exclusive Los Angeles neighborhood called Topango Canyon, which is 1% black. It's one of the whitest, richest communities in, uh, in L.A. or anywhere. Um, a former hippie enclave in, the, enclave in the 60s. But that's, I guess, where we find out where some of the money is going to this Marxist so she can buy a, a compound. And, you know, you think what you want of the story. It's, it's noteworthy. Wouldn't you call that newsworthy that one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, a devout Marxist, just bought a uh, uh, some real estate in an extremely rich white neighborhood? Well, Black um, uh, I saw this on Twitter. Jason Whitlock tweeted about it. Jason Whitlock, uh, we all know Whitlock. He's, he's he's a free agent now. Oh, this is. Uh, do you have the tweet it's there? Off the read because oh, yeah, there's the tweet. Yeah, so he he, yep. he tweets about it. I believe it was a New York Post story that he just retweeted. You know, you kind of hit the little tweet button, and Whitlock tweeted it. It doesn't offer any opinion or anything it just uh, says it all, yes he added to the she's headline people yeah she's with her people she's with her people yeah because she's in and you know whitlock writes talks about this stuff all the time he criticizes black lives matter all the time it's one of his things you see him on fox news now or 
wherever he's not with uh, Outkick anymore, but he's still out there and he's still critical of uh, Black Lives Matter. And he, you know, links to the story. Twitter suspends him, locks his account and suspends him. And I believe he's still down because it's just mind boggling how brazen these social media companies are. And we've talked about it many times with, uh, with Trump and Facebook or YouTube and, you know, being taken. Well, we talked the other day about uh, Ron DeSantis had a round table with like doctors and medical professionals about the, uh, about the pandemic and, and against, you know, obviously he's against lockdowns and he's been proven right. They took it down from, uh, is that YouTube? That was YouTube, correct? Yep. They didn't allow Ron, DeS the governor of, and one of the leading uh, voices uh, in, you know, uh, in one of the leading decision makers on this whole pandemic when he was with doctors, I believe, and healthcare professionals in the round table, and they won't allow you to see it. It's just insane. So they're protecting the woman who founded Black Lives Matter from publicity because it's really, and I got a story right here. It's not a lot of commentary. It's just like, isn't that crazy? This Marxist BLM leader bought very expensive real estate in an all white. Uh, Tony all white town. And you see these kind of stories all the time. These real estate stories, Dave Portnoy, he's buying a mansion in sure. Miami or, you know, whoever selling, uh, you know, some celebrity sliced alone selling his, let's put it this way. Jason Whitlock didn't write the story. He, he tweeted somebody else's words and that somebody else is that tweet is still up. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, well, the New York post story is still up, which is surprising on, on Twitter, but surprising. Cause we know they'll won't hesitate to censor the New York post, but, I don't know where it ends. We ask this all the time where it ends. That is nuts that he literally tweets a story about real estate. So um, the, the excuse is it's violating our rules against posting private information. You may not publish or post other people's private information without their express authorization or permission. That, that is frightening. Obviously, it wouldn't matter. If you said Don Jr., Don, we'll get to Donald Trump Jr., Don Trump Jr., and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Uh, celebrity couple, at least uh, uh, to the to the right wing, uh, to the to the Trumpkins, to the MAGA movement. Uh, those two bought a house in Miami, I believe, in the neighborhood with um, where Brady and Giselle are going to live, whatever that's called. Because I, I think Jared Kushner and Ivanka are there too. But they bought a house for like eight, nine million bucks. Do you think they cared who retweeted that? I see these. I used to see these celebrity real estate stories and just say, who cares about that? And you know what I do now? I read them. I, find, I see who's selling the house, how much they made on it. And they have pictures of the house because it's available. It's on Zillow. It's on real estate. So, so they throw it together, particularly, you know, like sensational uh, publications like tabloids and TMZ. They always have those real Sly Stallone just sold this, or I don't know if he sold it. He's selling his place in uh, L.A., for over a hundred million dollars and he's moving to Miami to be with it. Cause he's a Trump guy too. He's moving to my or I'm sure he has already spent a lot of time in Miami, but I always look at these and, and you always wonder like, how can people afford that? It'll be some half-assed B-list actor and they'll have like a $9 million house in Malibu. We're like, man, or athletes, you see these athletes and they're like, um, DeMarcus cousins the other day, put his house for sale and it was looked like a freaking four seasons hotel, put his house up for sale for like $20 million. And I'm, and I guess, you know, it's the NBA DeMarcus cousins been around for a while. He can afford it, but they have these crazy or, uh, or, uh, like Matt Stafford, 
obviously moves from Detroit to LA and they put the house up for sale and they show you the house and they give you the real estate listing. And it's interesting and it's, you know, it's clickbait, but you can't do it about the BLM founder. Like she's sacred. I mean, if it were some whatever religious leader or something, I'd be like, oh, so what? This is a BLM leader. And you're he, also, he also legit didn't violate the rules. He didn't do what they were accusing him of doing. So how does that play out? That means that they're know. manually they're manually dictating what to censor. So, so she goes right. out and she reports his tweet and Twitter personally reviews it and says, oh, it's Jason Whitlock. This is where he stands. See you later. It's wild. It's, it's, it's wild and it's wrong. And I understand half the country doesn't care or supports it because it's their side. You know, they're, they control Twitter. They control Facebook, uh, YouTube. And, and I'm sure this meeting Saturday with all the CEOs and you know, corporate leaders included you know, Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever from uh, Google, uh, which is creepy. These people control so much. They have so much power and they lie to their, your face and say they're not political and, you know, they're not uh, whatever, a platform. They're, they're, they're just publishing. They're, they're not. They're liars. And this is scary. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be taken down. I'm, you know, not as, uh, I'm not on their radar, maybe like, Whitlock is, but I wouldn't think twice about retweeting a story like that or commenting on it. And then boom, you're suspended like uh, Whitlock. I'm looking forward to seeing Whitlock come back and write about it or talk about it. I'm not sure like where or how he could do that. I yeah. guess go on Fox news, but I mean, if he does it on Twitter, they just going to take it down. It's scary. And you, you wonder like certain people have given up on Twitter, like guys that I like, like, you know, Dan Bongino or Greg Gutfeld or Mark Levin, they've given up they, they've quit Twitter or at least commenting on Twitter. Sometimes they'll post their show stuff, but, and it's too bad because those guys were good. And I enjoyed, you know, reading them, you know, gut felt on Twitter. Not, I was thinking about it a lot this weekend. Cause we've been texting about it a little bit. Nothing replicates Twitter. Like nothing is. And I used to think Twitter was the dumbest thing in the world, but nothing replicates the ability to get news and watch people fall on their face about said news. And I, and I, I and I say this all the time. It's it's, and they say, "Oh, what do you see?" I'm a news junkie. I used to like run, drive all over town buying newspapers, and then when the internet, I had a bunch of sites that I'd click on and read the news. Now you can do that on one site on Twitter. I mean, you go, I'll still go other places occasionally, but if you want to get up in the morning and see what happened in in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. You're going to see it on Twitter. You're going well, to the see news, it. The news is being created on Twitter. Like somebody is doing something stupid on Twitter, creating a story to talk about or to read, right? right. Like I, 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 we say this all the time. If you want to follow the riots in any city, Andy No is a guy, Andy N-G-O. He's the guy who wrote the book about uh, Antifa. He, I mean, he probably steals and <laughs> lifts stuff from other people, but I don't care. He's got video. If you want to see what's happening, what happened last night in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, go to Twitter, go to Andy No. It's a bunch of video. This guy, Jack Posoyak, I don't even know how to say his last name. He's a big Twitter guy, and he has video, and they got rioting, and they got you know fires burning, and it's all there. It's a great news source, and unfortunately, it's run by the woke mob who doesn't even pretend that they're neutral anymore. That I mean, they've taken down Marjorie Taylor Greene, and we all know she's a right-winger, and she's she triggers the left like nobody else. She's like bigger than Trump now when it comes to, you know, the usual, uh, all the people, the CNNs and the SNLs. They've taken it down twice and both times said, oh, it was an accident. It was an accident. It's never an accident 
when they take down, you know, AOC, they don't take down AOC, but they never will. And if they do, you know, they'll never say it was an accident because accidents only happen one way on Twitter and Facebook, but whatever, whatever, let's get to the, to the good part of Twitter. That should be when Donald Trump Jr. retweets me and through his 7 million followers, I tweeted, I watched this live. I don't ask me why. I don't think I've ever watched five minutes of Jimmy Kimmel. I hate him. I, I can't stomach any of the shows. Colbert, Fallon, they're all, oh, Seth Meyers, by the way, is the worst. I, I read about him on Twitter. I see on online on uh, different places, there'll be cuts and clips on how, how, how dedicated these guys are to just politics. I mean, they're, they're like a extension of, you know, like uh, CNN or MSNBC. They have the, they're political commentators. Colbert doesn't even try to be funny anymore. He's just a political hack, you know, promoting his side. And so is Kimmel. And I know Kimmel is he's gone. He hates Trump and loves Biden. And he and Howie Hamptons, they, they spend the holidays together talking about how they can, uh, you know, continue to repair their image. Jimmy Kimmel, by the way, no one has done blackface like Jimmy Kimmel. He went all in. He pretended to be Carl Malone at one point. He's done a lot of things that he's hoping they won't dig up. And the more woke he is, the more progressive he is, the less chance they're going to dig up that stuff, just like with Howard Stern. But anyway, Kimmel has Hunter Biden on on Thursday or Friday. Thursday, Friday, I don't know. I was flipping around late at night for some reason, watching Masters highlights and went and, and put it on and introducing Hunter Biden. And it's unbelievable the way he treats Hunter Biden. It's incredible. He's fawning over him. He's giggling with him. He's talking about how great the book is. Now, does anyone think Jimmy Kimmel read the book? Does anyone think he read one page of the book? He starts joking and dumping on Donald Trump Jr. in the interview with Hunter Biden. Doesn't you know mention who's the big guy? Who, you know What about Tony Bobulinski, this respected Navy guy? Was he lying about you? Doesn't really get into in other to Ukraine other than to say, you know, they impeached Trump over Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make you crazy when you hear someone like Donald Trump Jr. saying that the only reason he does is because he's a Biden <laughs> and because uh, of his last name <laughs> yeah. and how just wildly yeah. comical that yeah. is? I mean, does it? It, it is wi wildly comical. Is that, that's putting it um, uh, lightly, I think. But but, you know, I really what I've learned is this is that I don't spend too much time thinking about it. I do. I think about it all the time. Yeah. I'll think about it for you. I mean, there's so much you could ask Hunter Biden. I mean, he could still promote his book. I mean, you have him on there and, uh, you know, it can be done. I'm still curious to see if Hunter Biden will do any hostile interviews. Will he go on anyone that's not 100% in the tank? We've seen him with CBS and now we've seen him with Kimmel and, and, I got to say, I have very little respect for Kimmel. I have, I lost, I lost what little I had. It was embarrassing. He was fawning over Hunter freaking Biden. He doesn't even joke about the Parmesan cheese, which is kind of a tired joke. Yeah. But as we know, he told CBS that he smoked Parmesan cheese because he thought it was crack. Kimmel is so far gone as a comedian. He doesn't even joke about that, about, I mean, about this loser sitting in front of you. And we've all seen the pictures of him with hookers and, you know, naked and crack pipes and just, I mean, just embarrassing, bizarre stuff. This alleged comedian doesn't even go there because he's so in the tank for Biden and he hates Trump so much. But anyway, it was embarrassing. I tweeted about it. 
Don Jr. retweeted me and got a lot of reaction. And I'm telling you, I wish I wish I got reaction from Kimmel because it is well, I, I it is embarrassing what he's become. It used to be it used to be somewhat funny and iconoclastic and make fun of people. And you know, we all know he had big breasted women bouncing on trampolines back in the day when he was with uh, Adam Carolla on the Man Show. Boy, those days are gone. He is. Who's yeah. who's watching? Who's watching Kimmel? That gives a fuck about Hunter Biden. And if they do give a crap, they want it to be funny. And he brought nothing to the table. It was like they want it to be funny or critical. I mean, or critical. Yeah, but you're not, you're not looking to Kimmel for criticism. You know what I mean? Like well, you're you not. Know, I mean, critical and funny. You know, like joking, saying you smoke parmesan, whatever. Yeah. You, yes. And uh, you know, you. And if you, you're Hunter you, Biden, you go there to be made fun of to sell books. Like that's what you go in thinking. Instead. He gets an opportunity to legit pitch and rehab his entire image. Which right, and, and, and I'm sitting there going, you, "You've seen the pictures, Jimmy? Have you seen the? Do you know what he did? He left his wife for his dead brother's wife. Left his dead brother, or cheated on his dead brother's wife with his dead brother's wife's sister. Cheated on her with a stripper who he knocked up. Denied he knocked her up. Met another woman when he was high. Married her five days later. He's got five kids, but he says he only has four because he still denies one of the kids." That's what we're talking about. We're talking about one of the biggest scumbags in the world, and you're doing PR for him. I mean, have some dignity, Jimmy Kimmel. Have some pride. I mean, what you did, and I realize most of the people watching you are on your side, but what you did was humiliating professionally. But, you know, who am I to say? He's probably making $10 million a year to have, you know, very poor ratings and not a lot of laughs, but... He's uh, he's safe. Nobody except, you know, people, you know, who tweet at me are showing the blackface pictures or talking about all the things, all the offensive, sexist, misogynist things he said and done over the years. He's kept that, you know, that's under wraps for now because he is. Oh, no, now he has a uh, now he has a love story to go out there and brag about. You are married now. You yeah. found love. And but the way you found love. Yeah. You have to understand that on paper, this doesn't sound good. OK, yeah. and correct me if I have any of the details okay, wrong. Okay. You meet some strangers. Sure. Yeah. They say, oh, we have a girl you should meet. Yeah. They give you her phone number. Yeah. You text her like late at night. That? Yeah, exactly. She's sleeping. Yeah. She's like, oh, leave me alone. I'm asleep. The next morning she texts yeah. you. You guys have like lunch together or something. Yeah. In an hour, you tell her you love her. Yeah. She tells you she loves you. Yeah. Then she finds out you are a crack addict. Well, I tell her. I, I tell her. Yeah. I, I, I mean, within the hour before I told her I loved her so that she had an out, I told her. I said, look, I have a real problem. Um, but it's amazing. Uh, and, and then you marry her a week later. Yeah. This is... Yeah. Um, yeah. The clap. It's, it's the clapping of the audience. I Mary, while, while high on crack, he proposes, he marries this broad, you know, this woman a week later. I mean, not her fault, but God, that's what he asks. That's what he asks a guy who, again, was sleeping with his dead brother's widow while he was still married and then cheated on her with her sister. And you know what else? Hunter Biden, watch this, is not funny. He's not smart. He's not like charismatic. There's, the, even the stories about drugs and you know, the, the rock bottom kind of things that are usually pretty good from addicts and uh, are terrible. He's terrible. He, and he's lying. He's, he's He lies. Uh, so I'm not sure who thinks he's a great guest. If you don't push him and poke him and, uh, you know, probe, he's not a good guest. And Jimmy doesn't care. He just wants to be 
uh, you know, with, with a Biden. He just loves the Bidens, Jimmy Kimball. It's embarrassing. We will leave it there. We will be watching the uh, rioting, the looting, the unrest that uh, Ayanna Presley calls for. We need unrest in the streets as long as there's unrest in our lives. So she's supporting this. There'll be arrests. And I assume the vice president will bail everybody out if they even require bail. You know, bail's just for, you know, you know, we only, oh, just for MAGA morons who trespassed the Antifa and BLM guys, it's a revolving door. Let them, let them go. They can do it again tonight. They're going to do it again tonight. It's going to get wild, but we will stay on top of that and watch. We'll be watching following the Chauvin trial, which is not going well for, uh, for the prosecution, but who knows? We'll see what happens this week. And we'll, we'll be looking to see if, uh, Jason Woodlock ends up back on Twitter or where he ends up. Cause he is going to come out firing. I have a feeling that will be interesting. We will see, but uh, we will leave it there. Thanks to uh, Shea Concrete and Allied Paving and DCU and uh, and Pluto TV. Do, uh, do I have that right, Colin? Yeah, that's right. Pluto TV is back with us. Yes. All right. Pluto TV. We like that. We appreciate that. We thank you. We thank everybody for listening, for rating, reviewing, and telling a friend. I really appreciate it. I'm Jerry Callahan. This is the Callahan Podcast, and we will do it again tomorrow. Why am I stopping? No one else stops. I don't. I, can I go home? The Jerry Callahan Podcast. Yo, it's Robert Ory, and we're always bringing you the best upbeat sports conversations and the biggest guests we can track down on a Big Shot Bob podcast. One of the best ever, John Sally, is with us. John didn't realize that the real killer was Robert Ory. I said it a lot. <laughs> I said it, didn't I, Rob? I was like, yeah. the quiet one is the one you better watch out for. He don't get mad at anything. Uh-oh, something's up. <laughs> and don't miss the show on Wednesday the 31st as we talk to Lakers president, Jeannie Buss. Subscribe now everywhere you get your podcast and leave us a rating and review to be featured on the show.